What's up, kid folk? Welcome to the number one ranked show presented by DirecTV Stream. I am your host, RJ Young. I am not on a step mill. And if you're watching on YouTube, please hit that like and subscribe button. If you are not, thank you for watching on Twitter, Facebook, the Fox Sports app, or listening wherever you get your podcast. And today, we got to take a look at these top 25 rankings heading into championship weekend. We also have much to discuss. Going to have a little church here tonight about LSU, USC, Notre Dame, and Oklahoma. And I'm here with you. Going to talk it through. All right. So, Georgia is the number one team in the country. We all agree on this. We could even say that Georgia could lose to Alabama and still make the college football playoff because if we were really keeping it 100 about this college football season, Georgia would take all four of these college football playoff spots because many of you, like I believe, that they have dominated every single team they have played. It's in the rest of the top 25 where we have something like parity, even as we're down to just two undefeated teams left of 130. And in the top six, we're getting exactly what we paid for. All right, so the first four in, Georgia. Number two, Michigan, who got a monster win this past weekend at the Big House against the Buckeyes. Stopped a mud hole in them and walked it dry. All right? Look, I have, like you have, been making jokes about what Jim Harbaugh can and cannot do. And my mans went out there and did it my way. Like, seriously, they were running over people and playing defense. Like, I did not expect two things from Michigan. One, the defensive backfield to be able to run with the 300 monster of Ohio State wide receivers, that is Chris Olave, Garrett Wilson, and Jackson Smith and Jigba. Although, they got the dirty 30, Dax Hill, playing in the nickel, playing in the slot, playing in the safety, playing the free safety. That is the best pure football player I've ever seen with my own two eyes, and that man is going to be a first-round draft pick. Tulsa, Oklahoma, stand up. Tulsa boys, absolutely smack. And then on the other side, I saw some Michigan wide receivers that wanted every bit of those Ohio State quarterbacks. Like, they was already in their grills. Like, as a skill player, you want the ball in your hands. But apparently, all those wide receivers that Michigan wanted to do was get into a legal street fight with the Ohio State secondary. They were bullying them so badly off the ball that when Hassan Haskins got to the edges, which they attacked relentlessly, they were getting absolutely everything they wanted. Aiden Hutchinson... David Ajabu coming in there and actually going hard. Shout out to Aiden Hutchinson once again for breaking the school record for sacks in a season with 13, a record that had stood for 25 years. And now we have Michigan playing in the first Big Ten championship game in their history. That's not a small thing. And we have Jim Harbaugh one game win away from not just the Big Ten championship, but playing in the college football playoff. It's real simple math for the Wolverines. Beat the Iowa Hawkeyes and you are in. Okay, let's move to number three. We have at number three, Alabama, whom I watched in the Iron Bowl, like many of y'all watched the Iron Bowl. We saw a backup quarterback in TJ Finley absolutely put his team in a position to win in four overtimes. One, two, three, four. All because the Auburn defense came like they had a bone to pick, a fight to pick with the Alabama offense. And that like, was the first time that I've ever seen Evan Neal just getting eaten up. Bryce Young looked like he was being terrorized. Tank Bigsby put his team in a position to win there at the end. 
and Brian Harson nearly got a signature W in his first season at Auburn. That is not a small thing out there at Jordan-Hare, all right? Number two in there is Alabama for the second time, third time really this season, has looked booty, okay? Looked bad. Looked not Saban-esque. First, you get beat by a and what, it's fourth time. First, you got into a grudge match, a fist fight with Florida, who absolutely is so sorry that they fired their head coach. All right. Then you get beat by AM, and a win that Jimbo Fisher said he was going to get, number one. And then you get absolutely pushed into the fourth quarter by an Arkansas team that I've always thought was pretty good and has the good fortune or bad fortune, depending on who you are playing in the SEC West. It's a very good Arkansas football team. And then you get pushed to the brink by 6-5, and five, now 7-5, and five, Auburn. That's four times in which we've seen Nick Saban's football team look like it wants to be leaned on and put out of its misery. And now they get to play a Georgia team that might beat them by 17 or more, right? And that would mean that Alabama does not make the college football playoff. However, if Alabama somehow pulls off an upset of Georgia to win the SEC championship, it's not just that they're going to get in. They might be the number one team in the country, but that also means that we're going to get two SEC teams into the college football playoff once again, locking out some body, all right? So we got a big game this weekend, the SEC championship game. I expect Georgia to take care of business, and perhaps Jordan Davis will get that Heisman trophy that has eluded so many defensive tackles like himself who just go out there and maul people who don't have the stats to show. All right, now let's move on to number four, the Cincinnati Bearcats. All right, so this is really cool. This is what I have been stomping for for the past seven years. I want a group of five to get a perspective. If you run the table undefeated, I believe you should have an opportunity to play for the belt, to have the belt, to go and beat the man so that you can raise the belt. And Cincinnati has done everything that we've asked them to do, which is win every single game that they play. And they have a signature win against an 11-win team on their resume on the road in Notre Dame, who also can make the college football playoff. We'll talk about them here in a second. But you also are looking at a Cincinnati Bearcat team that is perfectly balanced, you know, accidental Thanos. They can run the ball, and they play outstanding defense. And this weekend, they play a Houston team that took a really interesting L to Texas Tech. They were up like three touchdowns in that game. And then Texas Tech comes back to beat them, but has reeled off, like, literally 11 straight, right? So now we're talking about a Houston team that has itself. It has found out who it is and what it's capable of. And for the second time in three weeks, we're going to see Cincinnati place a high-powered offense and have to keep them in check. But for once, we get to say this about a group of five team because of their ranking at number four. All they have to do is win, and they're in. On the other hand, Houston is not only just trying to play spoiler, they're also trying to win a conference championship. And if they do, there's a great sense that they could get that New Year's Six Bowl spot ahead of San Diego State no matter what San Diego State does in the Mountain West Championship, they're going to play Utah State in that game. Blake Anderson having a phenomenal first year for the Aggies down there. And I've been very fond of watching Brady Hope, San Diego State, go out there and destroy people, right? Also, in all of this, right, we could have some chaos because look at number five and number six here on this college football playoff ranking. Okay, so at number five, you'll see Oklahoma State. And at number six, you'll see Notre Dame. One of these is not like the other, okay, for what you already know. Part of the College Football Playoff Selection Committee's primary protocol is conference championships. And only one of these teams 
gets to play in a conference championship game this weekend. We'll get to Notre Dame here in a second, but I want to give Oklahoma State its flowers right quick, okay? They beat two 10-win teams and have an opportunity to beat another this weekend when they play Baylor. A Baylor team that might not have its starting quarterback in Gary Bohannon. Now, they also still have Abram Smith back there and Tristan Ebner, and they can run on you. And Dave Randa's defense, Ron Roberts' defense, has been outstanding all season. But Jim Knowles might actually win the Broyles Award this year for the way that Oklahoma State has been playing defense because it allows Mike Gundy to do what he's always wanted to do, which is run the football. He always wants to run the football. He had a 2,000-yard rusher in Chuba Hubbard because he wants to run the football. At the start of the season, I said they had four tailbacks that could start for any other D1 program in the country. And they've been leaning on just one, a Utah State transfer in Jalen Warren. Makes me wonder what Utah State might have been capable of had he decided to stay. But he's been ridden like secretariat. And that defense led by Malcolm Rodriguez, Wagner, Oklahoma stand up, has been putting the clamps on people week in and week out. They got the one loss, but I think they get an opportunity to show for the first time in their history, that they ought to be playing in the college football playoff and have an opportunity to win a Big 12 championship. Not bad for the Oklahoma State Cowboys. Oklahoma A&M, stand up. All right, bit about number six, Notre Dame, right quick. Okay, so Notre Dame is not playing the conference championship game, but it's a little bit deeper than that. Notre Dame is an 11-win team ranked number six in the country without a head coach, all right? We're going to talk a little bit more about Brian Kelly, but I will be interested to see what the conversations are like this weekend when evaluating a Notre Dame team that doesn't play without its head coach because we've never seen this before. We've never seen a head coach leave a program after winning 11 games out of 12 and one that can still play for a championship because – you're not seeing a mass exodus because they know that is true. Now, there are some things that can happen that put Notre Dame into that college football playoff, right? Among them, Cincinnati loses, Oklahoma State loses, uh, and excuse me, Michigan loses, and you got to really seriously think about putting Notre Dame into that college football playoff. So they are very intriguing, especially after stomping a mud hole in the Stanford team that beat the Oregon team, that beat Ohio State, right? You get what I'm saying here? So Notre Dame has been doing what they need to do. Kyron Williams is an absolute stud back there. I would love nothing more than to get to see, see one more game of Kyle Hamilton. Who knows if I'll get to see that. But in the top 25, just real briefly, BYU, <laughs> de facto Pac-12 champion. They're at number 12. Shout out to them. I watched that game late after we got done doing the show in uh, L.A., right, at the Fox Sports Lab a lot. And one of the things that I was really impressed with was Jackson Dart who apparently started the season with like this one bit of eye black down side of his face because Anakin Skywalker is, you know, his dude. And I'm like, does he know that Anakin Skywalker walked into a temple and killed children? Or no, because somebody needs to tell him that that was a thing that that dude did. But also, why go with Anakin Skywalker when you could go with David Bowie? I'm saying, that's an easy one right there. That was for free, Jackson. But it also means that Lincoln Riley's going to inherit the National Gatorade Player of the Year in 2020. We'll talk a little bit more about that here in a bit. Oklahoma's at 14, but it doesn't feel like the number 14 team in the country, not just because Lincoln Riley's at USC, which we will talk about, but also because there's been a mass exodus. It's been a fire sale. Everything must go at Oklahoma. We got Spencer Rattler going to the portal. We got Jade Hazelwood going to the portal. We got Marvin Mims thinking about going to the portal. I don't think it's going to stop there. Pittsburgh at number 15. 
And Wake Forest, number 16, that's interesting. That's the ACC title game right there, 15 and 16. That's what the college football playoff committee thinks about the ACC this year. No better than 15. Real watered down right there. I think the other one to, to be interested in here is Louisiana, who loses Billy Napier, their head coach, to Florida. How will they react in the Sun Belt Championship against Appalachian State? And Texas A&M is the only four-loss team in this top 25. I still don't see why you can't put UTSA here. They're 11-1. I know they got drilled by North Texas, but winning 11 games and losing one still ought to mean more than an 8-4 and four team that happened to beat an Alabama team we all think is pretty doggone shaky. Okay. Now, I want to talk about what y'all want me to talk about, right? We got to talk about Lincoln Riley, Oklahoma, USC. And that means we're going to have a little church here on this Tuesday night. I know in Oklahoma we go to church on Wednesday. We go to church on Sunday. Some of us, we work at the church. Uh, shout out to the Pearl House Gala and what they're doing right now. But stay with me on this, all right? Because get a snack pack, go get your beverage, calm down. We're going to talk through this. Moments after losing the Bedlam rivalry game for the first time in his career, Oklahoma coach Lincoln Riley was asked to comment on the many rumors that he was set to become the next head coach at LSU. Riley stopped the inquiring reporter for even asking or finishing the question, right? And he said, let me stop you right there. I'm not going to be the next coach at LSU. When the reporter tried to follow up, Riley interrupted him again and said, next question. Following Oklahoma's 37-33 defeat in debilitating fashion, losing Oklahoma State for the first time since 2014 and missing the Big 12 championship game for the first time since 2003 with the layoff, I, like other Sooner fans, took those words to mean, I'm not effing leaving. We heard those words like they were uttered by Jordan Belfort in The Wolf of Wall Street when he assured his legion of fans that he would not forsake them. Of course, what Riley probably meant was, I don't like the scene in Independence Day in which President Thomas J. Whitmore assures a nice old man, Julius Levinson, that there is, in fact, no such thing as aliens, only to be contradicted by the Secretary of Defense, who dropped a legendarily understated that's not entirely accurate. Like the Secretary of Defense, Riley didn't lie to us. He simply didn't tell us the whole truth. That's what we learned Sunday afternoon when USC sent shockwaves through college football by landing Riley as its new head coach. There's a lot to unpack with this seismic shift, so let's break down what it means for Oklahoma USC, and the rest of the sport. So, what does this mean for Oklahoma? Grief, rage, chaos. Check this. Lincoln Riley left Oklahoma for USC off the strength of a Zoom call and a nap. It means Spencer Rattler won't be the last person to jump into the transfer portal, and he isn't. It means with his taking the job at USC, Lincoln Riley hasn't seen a single QB he signed in high school as a coordinator or head coach finish his career at Oklahoma. And none of those QBs he signed in high school have yet become first-round selections. It means a source told me Riley spoke with the team for no more than two minutes 
to inform him of his or to inform them, excuse me, of his decision and left before the team meeting was even over without saying why he was leaving. It means half the staff took a 6.30 a.m. flight to L.A. with no contract on a Monday morning, including defense coordinator Alex Grinch, wide receiver coach Dennis Simmons, strength coach Benny Wiley, and director of football operations Clark Stroud. Stroud, heading to USC, hurts more than most think. Until July 1st, 2018, he'd been the dean of students at OU and VP of Student Affairs and has worked at OU for two decades, which is to say he has an institutional knowledge of the program and, more importantly, the university. When people ask who Oklahoma wants as its next head coach, I think it's a trick question. They wanted Lincoln Riley. That's why OU fans are so upset. Right up until he showed Sunday, he no longer wanted them. Riley was handpicked by former Oklahoma coach Bob Stoops to succeed him. And the offensive guru lived up to the standard Stoops set from the moment the hire was announced. It set a new bar for smooth transitions, a white glove service for the fan base, and everyone wanted to keep Riley. Stoops' decision to retire and hand the reins immediately to Riley was one of the greatest acts of his coaching career. The Sooners have been a model of sustained excellence for more than 20 years, the past five of which have come under Riley's watch. In five seasons, Riley posted a 55-10 and 10 record, won four Big 12 titles, and developed two number one overall draft picks in the NFL draft at quarterback, those Baker Mayfield and, of course, Kyler Murray. He also made three appearances in the college football playoff as a head coach and failed to win a single semifinal game. With each passing semifinal loss, though, Oklahoma fans became impatient to win a playoff game in a sport that has become about making the CFP and winning the national title above all else. There's little solace in a 10-win season, a feat OU accomplished in 2021, even after the season ended with a loss. But rather than seeking to pick up a longer extension with more money, such as we saw this month for Penn State coach James Franklin, Michigan State coach Mel Tucker, and Wake Forest coach Dave Clawson, Riley threw in his lot with the Pac-12, a conference that hasn't played in the CFP in five seasons, and a Trojans program that has been mostly mired in mediocrity. The question is why? OU Athletic Director Joe Constiglione and the Sooners haven't participated in a coaching search this century. But the last time Constiglione did, he struck gold with Bob Stoops. Never mind that college football looks like a totally different sport now, or that Constiglione has worked with three university presidents and two head coaches during his 23-year run. However, no one has had more time to put together a list of potential Oklahoma head coaches off the rip. I would go Castiglione needs to first call Clemson defense coordinator Brent Venables. We'll talk about it a little bit more later. And he not only is familiar with the program and has worked for Stoops as well as Dabo Sweeney, but also has done nothing since leaving Oklahoma 
but win games, including against the Sooners and winning national championships. Oklahoma is in year 21 of its national title drought. Venables could put together an outstanding staff, knows the area, has raised, or was raised, excuse me, in Salina, Kansas, played at Kansas State, and has successfully pulled the odd gem from the region, such as Isaiah Simmons, who is from Olathe, Kansas, and was lightly recruited, but developed into a destroyer of worlds at Clemson. Now, what does this mean for USC? In September, I wrote the next head coach at USC needed to be both Hollywood and hardworking. I wrote, quote, in a word, you've got to be talented because if want to were all it took to get what you want, I'd be six foot six, 260 pounds and walk around with a cape. You've got to be comfortable in a living room, a weight room, an entertainment executive boardroom. The job is as open and selective as becoming U.S. president. The Trojans read that column and said, bet, and landed Riley. Riley fits everyone's assessment of a home run hire and has proven that he can successfully recruit in the area. Former five-star quarterback Spencer Rattler hails from Arizona, and he earned a commitment almost overnight from Malachi Nelson, who was once committed to Oklahoma, is now committed to USC. Riley is also going to be charismatic, charming, and quick with a joke and a smile in a town full of stars and entertainment execs. A city very high on its own sense of self and a place in the world. His way is that of an aw shucks kid from Mulshu, Texas, with an IQ and memory fit for NASA. Bear in mind, Riley has lived in Mulshu, Lubbock, Greenville, North Carolina, and Norman, Oklahoma. What I'm saying is, one of those is not like the others. How quickly he can turn USC around is my only question. If it takes longer than USC Athletic Director Mike Bone thinks it should, will he hold the line to give Riley not only the resources he needs, but also the time? In this age, folks get fired for sneezing in the wrong direction along with six games in the loss column. USC believes it should win national titles with regularity. That's not unlike the place Riley just left, which begs the question again, why go? So what does this mean for college football? Perhaps Riley thought it was just time to leave. Woke up, took a nap, talked about it for two hours, said, I'm going to go. It was time to leave the place where he was, the fifth highest paid coach in the sport making nearly $7.7 million a year. It was time to leave the place where he helped engineer a move from the Big 12 to the Southeastern Conference while posturing like he wanted the challenge of facing Nick Saban, Kirby Smart, Lane Kiffin, Mike Leach, and the class of college football week in and week out. No disrespect to Auburn, but if they can make it work, OU should be able to make it work, too. I love football because it was a place to prove. Prove you could stand up and win your respect, whether you won the game or not. My career is built on that foundational principle. You might win, 
but you're going to bleed to do it. Oklahoma isn't the place for you to be if you don't believe the same. After all, there's only one Oklahoma. It was time to leave, though. Leave the place where he has had a steady road to championships, has consistently recruited well, and has been a model of sustained success in the sport. It was time to leave the place where the college football team is the pro team for a place with two NFL teams, two NBA teams, two MLB teams, two NHL teams, and two MLS teams, and perhaps the most fair-weather fans in the sport. It was time to leave the place that was ready to build a fifth statue of a head coach alongside Benny Owen, Bud Wilkinson, Barry Switzer, and Bob Stoops next to Heisman Park and memorialize him for all time. It was time for Riley to turn his back on all of that. Nothing is forever. Nothing is sacred. College football is a business full of businessmen standing on the sideline trying to get ahead of an ax that falls on most. If this can happen at Oklahoma, to Oklahoma, it can happen anywhere. It can happen to your school, too. This next part, though, is for Oklahoma fans. Oklahomans, really, so bear with me. In this book I'm writing about the Tulsa Race Massacre, I mean, the throes of it, almost done. I spent a lot of time revising about my home, Tulsa, Oklahoma. The six years I lived in Norman, the bus rides to and from Stillwater in pursuit of my own self-respect. And in this land, nations of people alongside the diaspora were banished to and made habitable, profitable home by pulling from the ground what no one else had and finding enterprise where others found red dirt. And in this work, I'm drawing out what it means for me to call Oklahoma home at a time when my friends, my family, our best and our brightest leave us for a place that's better and brighter. And then we have to defend ourselves all over again from tornadoes and tornadoes of criticism and floods and floods of our own feelings for being left here again at home, in a place Zebulon Pike once called the American Sahara, and discarded and treated as if we ain't no thing. And what we did, we should accept. We should expect when you were just saying, hey, lighten up. You're only Oklahoma. People leave. And then they ask us to be less invested in the place that raised us, that created us that has been a cauldron for clashes and creativity and smash mouth, wishbone, past happy football, where the Dust Bowl laid waste, the Murrah memory looms. We've rebuilt, remade, even as we stumble in our way home and beg respect because football, we're so good at it that we must be good at it. It's our birthright and on our driver's license for all to see and we feel so like fighting for a place that once no one cared to notice until we made them notice with 47 straight Heismans, national championships, and a 33-year-old wonderkin. 
with ambition. And now, we must do it all over again. Okay. So, I want to talk about the top five coaches for Oklahoma right quick. Um, number one, right? Or excuse me, number five, not number one. I got Phil Longo, who is the offensive coordinator at North Carolina. And I believe many people think that that's an odd choice here. But the reason I put him there is when Mac Brown was coming out of being a studio analyst and becoming the head coach of North Carolina, he asked both Lincoln Riley and Cliff Kingsbury who they would go higher because he wanted to be like Oklahoma. That's the kind of offense he wanted to run. That is the kind of panache he wanted to play with. And both of those men recommended Phil Longo. Now, Phil Longo's also been up the hard way. We're talking about a dude that coached at Slippery Rock, of all things, right? But he also has groomed Sam Howell, who many still expect to be a first-round draft pick. And they're fun. They went and put up Fitty on Wake Forest and ended any ambition they had of making the national championship. And I think Phil Longo would fit the culture that Oklahoma has built. The next guy on the list is Marcus Freeman. Now, I don't know if Marcus Freeman is even going to last this long because Notre Dame coach Brian Kelly is now LSU coach Brian Kelly. And Marcus Freeman is a guy that I have been high on for the better part of 40 years now. I loved him as a defensive coordinator at Cincinnati before they had an undefeated regular season. And then they had one. And then he got the job at Notre Dame after interviewing for the job at LSU, turning it down. And now that Brian Kelly has gone to Baton Rouge, I'm telling Notre Dame, do the simple smart thing and hire Marcus Freeman. He is right there. And if you don't do it, I would be shocked if Oklahoma doesn't pick up the phone. But that would be after they go off there. their number one, who I also think ought to be entertained by Notre Dame. All right, at number three on this list, I have Coastal Carolina coach Jamie Chadwell. All right, I love Coach Chadwell, friend of the show, Coach Chadwell. But more than that, he's turned Coastal Carolina into a name you know. You didn't know about the shots three years ago. And then this man showed up with a freshman quarterback and decided, oh, no, we can go do this. And then went barnstorming, making it happen in 2020. Played a dramatic game against BYU that they won. And nearly put off an undefeated season last year. And has won 10 games despite having a serious injury to his starting quarterback, who I thought was a Heisman candidate in October in Grayson McCall. Jamie Chadwell is fun. That dude has an offense that scores. And his kids love to play for him. You like to root for that guy at Oklahoma. On the next... Uh, like number two, I got Shane Beamer, South Carolina head coach. Shane Beamer, for some people, also sticks out here. But Shane Beamer was the offensive assistant at Oklahoma before being hired at this job, South Carolina, which means that he was doing all the little stuff that ends up being big stuff at Oklahoma. Clock management. Hey, we need a timeout here. Hey, I'm going to coach the special teams. I also am going to coach the H-backs and the tight ends. And he's one of two outstanding head coaches who don't have any coordinator experience. He and Dabo Sweeney. This is the guy who went into his phone and pulled out Caleb Williams' number and gave it to Lincoln Riley. He knows where the talent is. He knows how to recruit that talent. I don't know if he is so upset with South Carolina or even thinks that it's a better job than Oklahoma. But I think if you don't get your number one, you have to call Shane Beamer 
who I know left on good terms at OU, and I know many fans would be very enthusiastic about bringing back. And then at number one, Clemson defense coordinator Brent Venables. Okay, so Venables has been very loud about wanting to stay at Clemson and being very happy as one of the highest paid defense coordinators in football. He's never been the kind of guy that wants to move his family around, but his boys are playing college football now. He might entertain a return to the place that he helped build, won a national championship with as a position coach before leaving after a 10-3 and season, right, when Mike Stoops was brought in to help coordinate the defense. And when he spoke at length about this, he said, look, it was a difficult decision for me. I was not being pushed out. Nobody was asking me to leave. But I wanted to evolve. I wanted to get better. But I thought it was interesting that even six years ago, he knew this to be true. He said, Oklahoma is not a stepping stone job. It's not a job that it's easy to walk away from. However, as a guy that came out of Salina, Kansas, played community college football at, yes, Garden City Community College, and then ended up at Kansas State, we all thought that when the Kansas State job came open, Bill Snyder stepped down, that he would take that job, and Chris Kleiman ends up taking that job. So I'm not sure if Brent Venables would even entertain coming to Oklahoma, but I think Joe Castiglione knows he owes himself, and he owes the program a phone call. Just find out. Make Brent Venables an offer. Bring him home. Let's get back to playing smash-nose, hard-nosed defense, and let's see what kind of staff he can put together. Okay. So that was my top five for the Oklahoma job. I want to talk a little bit about who LSU just went and got. Okay. So Brian Kelly left what was once considered a Yankees job, a job you have to be fired from to leave to accept the head coaching position at LSU. In doing so, Kelly becomes the second coach in as many days to perform that feat. When USC coach Lincoln Riley told the media Saturday night that he wasn't going to be the next head coach at LSU, Kelly must have smirked. <laughs> what does this mean, though, for LSU? Well, Kelly knows that what I wrote in last month's Fox Sports column is true. LSU is the best college football head coaching job in the country. And I wrote, quote, it's easier to put together a list of coaches who would immediately say no, and that list begins and ends with Nick Saban, who saw The Rock at Baton Rouge and polished it into a diamond capable of cutting down any team in college football. Everyone else, form an orderly line because we all know you want to crack at this gig. Some of y'all mocked me for this, claiming I overstated the power of LSU's recruiting footprint, pocketbook, and allure. Then Kelly turned around and accepted the position while he was the head coach of a Notre Dame team that could still make the college football playoff this season, turning his back on an 11-win season and a decade of sustained excellence in South Bend in what is the weirdest fit in college football history. Your Honor, the defense rests. After stopping a mud hole in Stanford and walking it dry en route to an 11-win regular season, Kelly said, quote, we've got one of the four best teams in my mind in the country without question, 
and we're ready to prove it, end quote. Then he told those ND players to show up for a 7 a.m. meeting to talk through what they learned on Twitter the night before via text message. Tough scene. By the way, I hope every last one of y'all ND players skip that meeting. My goodness. What does it mean, though, for Notre Dame and Oklahoma? Kelly's departure from the biggest brand in the sport is also an example of the harbinger I wrote about when Riley accepted the USC job after putting together a 55-10 and 10 record, winning multiple conference titles, putting multiple Heisman winners on the podium, and making three college football playoff appearances. If Brian Kelly and Lincoln Riley are exchanging notes, they probably need to stop because y'all are winless in the college football playoff between you. It can happen to your school is what I'm saying, and it's likely to happen to your school. As much as we'd love to believe coaches lose sleep over their decisions to leave Blue Blood programs, Riley told media about his USC decision on Monday that he made the decision to exit Oklahoma off the strength of a Zoom call and a nap. I've said it twice in this show because I need that to land for you. His move so blindsided OU's brain trust that they held a media conference on Monday to assure fans that they'd find the right person to replace Riley. I expect a similar discussion will be held at Indy post-haste. Now, the two teams that claim to have invented the phrase play like a champion today will have to find head coaches who can lead their players to championships. Even as a mass exodus is underway at OU and certainly will begin at ND. Moreover, OU and ND are essentially coming through the same hiring pool in a buyer's market. At the top of the list for both must be, as I said, Brent Venables, who has won national titles at each of his two stops as a position coach, coordinator, at OU and Clemson. Both will also have zeroed in on rising star Marcus Freeman. ND has the inside track there, as Freeman is the defense coordinator for the Irish. However, the man who raised Freeman as a coordinator is at nearby Cincinnati, Luke Fickle. Fickle has long been linked to just two dream jobs. One of them is the place he played and stewarded and coordinated in Ohio State. And the other is Notre Dame. With Fickle having put together back-to-back undefeated regular season and appearing to be a conference title away from becoming the first coach to lead the program outside the Power Five to the CFP, he's an attractive candidate for any big-time coaching gig, not just Notre Dame. But he's a fit in South Bend. He knows the territory. He's primarily recruited it, and he understands the wants, needs, and capabilities of the Fighting Irish program that wants to get back to recruiting the Midwest Catholic schools. If he were hired and could convince Freeman to stay on as defense coordinator, I would think ND had hit the jackpot. I know Ohio State fans would like to see Freeman brought to the shoe, too. The coordinated defense that was embarrassed 
and run over by Michigan on Saturday, much like he once did. But I think Freeman is ready to be not just a head coach, but also head coach of a Blue Blood University. Oklahoma has a track record of hiring young coaches in their 30s who have no previous head coaching experience and spinning those hires into more gold than Rumpelstiltskin. Selfishly, I want to see Freeman, who is black, become a head coach because there just aren't that many in the sport that I love. And I've written as much, and I've talked about as much. But this year, it bears repeating. Indy has had only one black head coach since it began playing college football in the 19th century. That came in 2002 when the Fighting Irish hired Tyrone Willingham, whose previous stop was Stanford. Former Cardinal coach Danny Green became the first black man to be the head coach at a Power 5 program at Northwestern in 1981. But since 1981, only 39 black men have been hired as head coaches to run Power 5 teams. That's 39 black head coaches in 40 years at the highest level of the sport with 65 jobs annually. That means fewer than 10% of all head coaching hires have been black men. Just 30 of the 65 Power 5 schools ever have hired a black head coach in a sport where more than half the population is black kids in a country where 7% of the population is black men. And there are even fewer with the kind of credibility and panache that Freeman could bring. This is a unique opportunity for both Notre Dame and Oklahoma who have each hired just one black head coach in their history to get a man who is young and smart and dynamic and has more than proven he deserves the chance to lead the kind of storied programs that Lincoln Riley and Brian Kelly believe can be discarded for little more than their egos. I've, all, I've watched all three major interviews and the entire Lincoln-Riley press conference. I give Riley credit for saying the system was broken before he took advantage of it, all in the game, as they say. I believe he will flip USC into a national title contender. He's that good. However, I think coaches in general miss on what these college football teams mean to us, especially those who are walking into places where they weren't raised in the customs of the region, the city, the game day environments, and even more so for those we believe walked out on us for something fancier, prettier. When we've been down for you, when we do ride and do die with you. Most fans, especially the ones paying 50 bucks to watch a pay-per-view beatdown or lurking on message boards, still aren't thinking of our programs as businesses. We're folks who graduated from, oh, loans to, inherited season's tickets to see what is, in effect, extended family. It's tough to do your job, head coach, when you know millions are invested in your every decision and, worse yet, critical of many of them. It's difficult to remember. It's a fanaticism maintained by a love, a power, 
coaches in our sport are given. And when you leave the way that Riley did or Kelly did, it leaves a mark, a wound on millions as you make millions in a sport that is still played by our kids, our family, because that's who we are and all we have left, our intentional family. That's our show for today. The number one ranked show is hosted by me, RJ Young. Thank you to our sponsor, DirecTV Stream. Our intrepid lead producer is Catherine Donnelly. Our director is John Marcus. Niles Owens is running the stream. We got Tyler Wojak on the prompter and helping put together these impeccable cards. Our social media manager is Javion Duncan. Our lead of screening is Rachel Cohn. Our AP is Tyler Wojak. And our executive producer is Kristen Hurley. That's it for me. Deuces.